0: Welcome to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of identity and healing with your host, Dr. Laura Polak, a somatic healer and chiropractor. Let's join the podcast. Welcome to the Queer Body. We are so excited to have Shauna Fireball. I'm learning to say her name properly today. Um, on our show today, and we are asking you to subscribe so you know that we have episodes coming up. Shauna is a somatic sex educator, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Welcome.
1: Oh, thanks, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to have this conversation with you today. Um, So yes, my name is Shauna Farbaugh, and uh, I live and work and play, not enough play recently, hopefully more. Um, on unceded territory of the Romaitu Shaloni people, which is colonially known as San Francisco, California. Um, I identify as a cisgendered, white, queer femme woman. Um, I also identify as a person who lives with chronic illness or mental illness. Um, and I'm a somatic certified somatic sex educator, also a certified tension and trauma-releasing exercises practitioner. Um, and I often joke, you know, when I say I'm a somatic sex educator, I'm one of the I'm not the only, but I'm one of the the few fields in the world where someone says, what do you do for a living? And you answer the question and they still have no idea what you do for a living. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, but it's really amazing work and I'm happy to get to share a little bit about it today.
0: Awesome. So, hey, let's just jump in with that question. What is a somatic sex educator? What is it?
1: Yeah. Great question. Well, you know, and we're here for, with the queer body podcast, right? So many of our listeners are somatic people. So, you know, maybe it made sense to much of your listeners right away. But what usually happens, you know, when I say somatic sex educator, people, you know, for the most part, they get the sex educator piece that I teach folks about sex. Although that still is a question for some people, what that actually looks like. Um, and it's usually the somatic piece that gets folks curious. Um, and, you know, even within somatic community, I think it can be really interesting. We all, you know, orient to that word or or define that word a little bit differently, kind of like queerness, right? Some yeah. overlap there. And so, you know, I'll name for me, my, my favorite way to define like what is somatic, um, I always like to refer to uh, Heidi Grant Halverson is a social psychologist, and I watched a lecture she did um, uh, available on YouTube, and she, the way she shared it is that, you know, most people in our Cultural moment, you know, we're here in the US in 2022. You know, most people treat their body like a stick that carries their brain to meetings. Mm -hmm. And from that place, that's where I get to say, and you know, what somatics is about is that that's factually inaccurate. Like, that is not true. Our body is not a stick that carries our brain to meetings. And the lens that I have is that our body is a dynamic, living intelligence that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with. Um, And it's always been really important to me. You know, I feel like, I think this is shifting, but when I first kind of stepped into somatic community, I kind of got this vibe, you know, there are some folks, I think, in the mind-body world where it's like we kind of denigrate the mind, where it's like we're overcompensating. It's like, no, yeah. the mind is nothing but trouble. Um, and I, I completely disagree with that. So from the beginning, you know, I, I like to say, I love my, my mind, right? It's also a dynamic living intelligence. It's brilliant, and I totally value right. it. And so what somatic practice is for me is that if we only have access to our mind, we're kind of functioning with half of the data and half of our brilliance. And so somatic practice is really about um, relationship building between these two like living entities um, and learning to share information and and make decisions together. So more can be said about that, but that's a little snapshot.
0: Well, that's the somatic piece. And I want to just jump with the somatics for a minute because the part with the somatics and the mind is, in my practice anyway, I find that at least oh gosh, I'm going to go big here and say 70 to 80% of the people have no idea to listen to their body. Like the conversation with their brain, we really get that piece. But the conversation of like, well, how do I know that my body is a living, breathing entity on its own if it's just doing what I want it to do? And when it doesn't is when I seek out like somebody help me with this because my car is not working properly. Is kind of the analogy. Yeah. So when you absolutely. say it's a living, breathing being, like, how do you how do you mm. communicate with that part?
1: Oh my gosh, I love this question because this is like something I am obsessed with, like in my practice and in my teaching and in my own life. Um, so and I loved how you named, you know, people don't know like how how do we get into relationship? Like, I don't have this information. Like, what what are we even talking about? And right. so where I like to start is to say that sensation is the language of the body. And Mm. the reality is our body is communicating with us all the time via sensation. Um, And when I say sensation, I'm largely referring to like interoception, right? These sensations that happen kind of within our body, less so than like, you know, when I physically touch my skin and I can feel that sensation. And so for me, again, you know, really, um, I, I, lean really heavily on the, heavily on this relationship building analogy, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, if I wanted to build a relationship with a human outside my body, right. It's like, how do we do that? Well, we need to communicate, you know, that's where it starts. Um, mm-hmm. and so to communicate, we need to speak the same language. And so a big piece of where I really start with my clients and bringing them into this somatic practice is really somatic awareness, is the phrase that I use. And so it's how do we slowly start to build our capacity to notice these sensations that are happening in our body all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And to, to really feel what's happening. And, you know, I want to acknowledge it's really fascinating because all of us are in a different place with this relationship and this capacity. Um, and there's lots of reasons. There's many folks who, when we start to, when we want to connect to our body and we go to get that information, it's not there, Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's something to be said for like, uh, allowing and some practice, you know, all of these are practices. And over time, we actually, typically, for most of us start to actually be able to perceive more sensation. And then part of the practice is also learning to just like, allow whatever is in our bodies to be present without jumping to creating some kind of meaning. You know, so when I'm, Coaching clients early on, a lot of times I'll reflect back, like, well, what you know, what are you noticing in your body? And they might say, like, well, I, I'm anxious. And I'm like, okay, where's the anxiety in your body? And maybe mm. they can say, like, well, I think it's in my chest. And I'm like, great. And what does it feel like in your chest? Like what sensation are you actually noticing? And with that additional coaching, can people can be like, well, it's tight, you know, and then I'll go further and I'll be like, what's that tension like? Is it squeezing in? Is it pressing down? And it's really building the capacity. It's like it's learning a new language, right? Getting more fluent. And the more data that we get with practice, then the, the more information we have. Um, anyway, I went a little off the rails there. but No, you didn't sense? go off
0: the rails at all because actually you gave us a concrete understanding of what that looks like instead of it kind of being out there in the mental world, which I really yeah. appreciate.
1: Yeah. But
0: then there's this, this second part, like... Um, so we can have a somatic relationship with ourselves,
1: like mm-hmm. it doesn't have
0: to be in relationship to something else. Is that right?
1: Yeah. yeah. So, can, you, well, can you clarify the question?
0: Sure. So if I'm going to have the word that I think, <laughs> I feel like a school a school marm for a minute, introspection. Can we break that down and say what that means? So like, if in this moment, you were to check in your body and you were going to feel something, how the hell does somebody do that? Like, I mean, that's it. We're definitely not taught that in school. We're Uh not taught that in, like, I certainly am not celebrated in doing that in work. Like that's not productive. How is that actually, you know, it's, it's just not celebrated. So I think it's, it's a very new concept for many people Yeah, or even for some of us who've practiced it for years and years. It's not, in the mainstream and we talk in my show about the cultural matrix. It's not something that's in our overall arching culture. Mm-hmm. So to actually stop in and feel your body, I think mm-hmm. that idea is just like what what the heck are you talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple of thoughts come up as you as you name those pieces, Laura. I mean, I think the first one is I always love to check in with people and see if there's a moment where we've had access to kind of lock in on that as a resource. Mm-hmm. And so I think most of us, not everyone, right, I want to acknowledge that, but I think most of us have had some kind of connection to those sensations in kind of extreme circumstances, you Mm -hmm. know, or, like, if when we've been extremely stressed out, we might have been aware, like, you know, my heart was pounding or butterflies in our stomach, you know, these cultural references that we right. have, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that feeling of butterflies in your tummy, right. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's one of those internal sensations. So, you know, one place I like to start is to just help people identify, like, has there ever been a time that happened? And then I, you know, I'll reflect and it's like, so the capacity is there. We just cultivate it, you know? Got it. And then from there, you know, I think what's actually really important to name in regards to what you're asking And I love this. These two concepts have really been pretty significant in shifting some things in my life. All we have to do is notice. Mm. And we just notice with curiosity. Mm. And it's easy to say that. And it actually is a practice because that is not the world we live in. Right? right? And it's really resonant with sex education because we could also say that quality is about non-judgment. You know, I'm just going to check in with my body. And if nothing's there, that's okay. I'll just go on with the day and try again later. And so, you know, I love to invite people, like maybe the most important piece of the practice initially is like, can we connect to that just noticing, just being curious and, and whatever's there is fine. And, you know, and what typically happens over time is that, you know, maybe you check in a bunch and you're like, I, don't know, I still don't get this. And then one day you're like waiting for the BART and you're like, oh, I'll check in with my body. And you're like, oh, I feel this like thing in my tummy, you know, something like that.
0: That's great. Um, so yeah, let's bring so. in the second part, because like, honestly, if you say the word sex educator, I think for me, um, if I wasn't in the community I was in, I would think of like the gym teacher teaching about the birds and the bees. Uh, <laughs> and yes. like, you know, like, it's kind of a archaic thing. So we know it's not that now because I'm in the community I'm in. And, and hopefully right. other people have also been exposed to this. But now you're adding somatics. Yeah and we're adding sex education, but you're not really just talking about like how to put a condom on, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, Laura, before I jump into that, I have to say when you brought up the gym teacher, I have always had this fantasy, I think it would be really fun to do, like maybe online, maybe in person, but like a sex ed class, you know, for for adults in this moment in history, but I would call it things your gym teacher never told you. (laughs) I think that would be really fun. (laughs) So, but yes, but addressing like, what does somatic sex education look like? The sex education piece. I've been a sex educator since 2007, initially doing like classroom education. I actually taught sex ed in high schools for three years in San Mateo County, which was very fun, as you might imagine. Um, And then I started uh, as a somatic sex educator. I did my training in 2013. And I think, you know, a big piece of the jump there, I still do a lot of group classes, um, but... I also, I have a private practice. So somatic sex education lends itself really well to a private practice model. Um, And so, you know, the way that I talk about it is like, why would someone want somatic sex education? And I like to frame it as that, you know, if there's anything that's holding you back from your most authentic, most joyful sexual expression, let's fix it. Let's get that out of the way. Let's learn some new skills. So, you know, folks come to me for somatic sex education, um, for myself specifically, you know, I do a lot of work around what happens when life happens. Something happens in our life that impacts our sexuality or our sexual function. Um, that could be illness or injury, um, temporary or permanent. Um, it could also be like heartbreak, childbirth. <laughs> so right. you know, there's a big piece in my practice where um, life impacts our sexuality and our sexuality, our sexual expression, our access to pleasure. Our physiology is not static over our lifetime, and because no one talks about that, what happens is our something changes in our in our sex lives or our sexual identity, and and people freak out, right? Because we don't have this cultural understanding that that's actually just part of being a sexual human. Like things are going to happen, and and we'll just we'll learn new things and we'll reorient to um, pleasure or learn new capacities or you know get some support and shift into a new sexual identity. Um, so that's a big piece of my practice. That's why my website is Sexuality in Transition, just acknowledging life is full of transition, and most of them impact our sexuality. So let's talk about it. Um, I also work with folks with pelvic pain. Folks of all genders and all anatomies can experience pelvic pain, right? Mm. Um, also another thing that doesn't get talked about, you know, when we think about pelvic pain, we most often think of folks with vulvas, and quite often people think specifically of cisgendered women, with vulvas. Um, And that's certainly like a, you know, a part of the population that navigates pelvic pain. And certainly that specific population is also really struggling to talk about it. You know, so many Mm -hmm. of the young women that I've supported, um, a big piece of what we work on is they just feel like they're the only one. And what's really fascinating is I'll share with them the statistics. I'm like, this is really common. Like you are not alone. Um, But folks you know, they, they're too embarrassed to talk about what's happening. And so we kind of just perpetuate this illusion, right, that they're the only one. But in addition, and, you know, even less talked about is that, um, you know, folks of all gender identities, folks with penises can also experience pelvic pain or pain related to sex, erection, orgasm, um, ejaculation. And these are all things that folks can get support with, you know, from a somatic sex educator or a pelvic floor physical therapist.
0: But I just have to stop you for a minute, because you've already gone into like this whole big piece, and yeah. as an introvert, and like, I'm super comfortable talking about sex all the time. But the mm-hmm. idea of going into a room with one person, and being a somatic, I mean, that just sounds horribly intimidating. Like, what do you do with somebody in a room in a private consult?
1: Well, I'll answer that, Laura. But can you tell me first,
0: what sounds scary about it? Like, what's you scary? know, It's... Like we are taught, first of all, I think mostly we're taught that sexuality is a relationship thing, not mm. a like, hey, sex is my thing. It's for me. Yeah. So then then we are next taught, even for us queer people who've done a lot of work on exploding, like, hey, we, we're outside the box. We are not fitting in the heteronormative paradigm anyway. Yeah. But then the second thing we know is that sex is supposed to be shared with one person. Now, some of us do this work and become polyamorous or in multiple relationships or just like hookups. I mean, all of that's within the realm of possibility. But again, within the cultural paradigm, sexuality is with one person that you know, we make love and then we have a baby and then we're together forever. This is the bullshit we're taught, right? And so now I'm going to go to some stranger who's going to talk to me about my genitalia and my orgasms? Like, oh, come on, we're not supposed to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I love what you named there. And I think, you know, you named a couple of really important pieces. And the first thing I want to say is, you know, I think a a big piece of somatic sex education, not just as a a practice, but just, you know, the philosophy behind the modality is that, you know, folks, we tend to think of like sex in this very limited way. Where the, what we're really looking at is this broader concept of like our eroticism, you know, Mm. which, is, and it, that can be really complicated to define for people. And I love to just be like, well, just feel into it and see what feels true for you. But you know, it's to say that like, you know, sex is about much more than our genitals, sex is about much more than orgasm. You know, everything that we think about related to sensuality is part of our eroticism. But I also love to say, you know, there's this lens on the erotic that's what I ascribe to that like our eroticism is our vitality. You know, our connection to our sexuality is also our connection to our life force and our creativity, you know, and so it gets much, it's much broader than like having sex or fucking, as I like to say, because I like to say, fuck, I'm a woman who says fuck. And so when we connect to that sense of our eroticism, you know, I think a big piece of what I do with my clients is that we also really work like that's ours, you know, and it's, it's about really like, Getting to know our our eroticism, not just like what we like in bed, but in a much broader sense, like what's our connection to our vitality? Like, is our sexuality connected to our creativity, and what does that mean in our lives? And to also like, we get to know our own body, our arousal, um, you know, and and you know, what do we like and what do we don't like, and we get to own that as ours. And it honestly, from that place, we then have choice. We can share it with whomever we want. You know, in consent, um, or with no one. But so there is this piece of it, right? That, and I love how you name that because that is a paradigm shift where, you know, sex is not about. We get to choose to have sex with other people, but our sexuality, our eroticism is ours, is ours. The other thing from the perspective of like, you know, it being intimidating to to come in and talk talk to someone about getting support around sex, there's this other shift, you know, our culture is like, sex is so taboo, but it's so Mm -hmm. hard for folks to talk about. But there's also this lens like sex is a learnable skill, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, if you wanted to learn how to do something with your body since, you know, when we're talking about engaging sexually with ourselves or other people, our bodies are involved, you know, you often like we go to a coach or we take right. a class, right? right? And so, you know, it's only that like that melts people's brains related to sex because of that cultural taboo. You know, if we right. reframe it and say like, oh, this is something we can learn. And, you know, just to throw out some tidbits, you know, there's, there's some really like handy tools that we can, you know, get curious about, observe in ourselves, build some skill around to give us a lot more leverage around our own arousal um giving us more reliable access to orgasm and they're not complicated things you know just a couple of examples um, this is kind of like some of the foundational pieces of like early somatic sex education is breath sound and movement Mm -hmm. right the way that we breathe the sounds that we make or choose not to make we all have choice the way we move our bodies and you know movements can be subtle Um, you know i work in a very inclusive all bodies, all abilities kind of way. So it's not about movement having to be be bigger, right? We can also move um, energy visually. But these these three tools, like breath, sound, and movement, like when you play with them, things change erotically and in a pleasure-based way. So again, coming back to that lens, it's like, you know, sex is hard for folks to talk about. I mean, that's culturally true. And, you know, it's a skill. We can learn it.
0: I so love that. And I also, you know, just want to name that I... I'm raising a teenage child, right? And I don't think anywhere in sex education are they talking about sex, breath, and movement. Yeah. You know, that's not like that's like radical teachings there. And it's pretty simple and basic and important. And again, right back to the somatic piece where we're like, hey, whoever taught me to listen to my body and see what's feeling and what it's saying and what, what it's sensing. And definitely whoever taught me those things about sex. Like I still, you know, when somebody says sex because of the way I was raised, it means penis and vagina. Right. And I go, so like for me as a young person, um, I was having a lot of sex, but I didn't know it was sex because it wasn't penis and vagina. Yeah, And, you know, so like just opening up the idea that sex could be eroticism, it can be breath, it can be movement, it can be sound, that it could be other things besides orgasm, besides penis and vagina. Like once we open it up, it becomes less scary. But the idea of going to a somatic sex therapist, I think you're going to be... Thank you, educator. (laughs) Okay, so what is the difference between a somatic sex educator and a somatic sex therapist?
1: It's such a great question. And I I think the important piece is really to just acknowledge the distinction between training and certification, right? So therapists are licensed by the state, you know, and therapy is a very specific uh, thing. Um, As a somatic sex educator, you know, I have extensive training and certification but it's, it's, it's a different training and a different certification. Um, and, you know, the difference too, is I think you know, we're really approaching this from an educational perspective, coming back to that sex is a learnable skill. So you come in with a goal, you know, what's, what do you want to change um, in your sex life? And then how are we going to get there? And we use practices and build skills to, to get you to have the sex life that you want.
0: Got it. Thank you so yeah. much for that. And yeah. just again, to demystify for my, for my audience, so like, what kind of things do people come in with? And like, let's say, I want, um, so for me, I'm a menopausal woman, my body's changed, I want to have a different relationship with my orgasms and with my dryness.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, like, and so I'm wanting to work with that with you. Like, how would it look like I walk into your office? And what would we do?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's a funny question because sessions are always different because they're individualized. Right. right? right. <laughs> Classic sex educator response here. But yeah, I mean, I think one thing is that, you know, if people get so intimidated about somatic sex education because it sounds scary and so much of it though is really again coming back to that somatic coaching, that's often where I start. Let's get in contact with your body and build that relationship. So when we solve the problem, you know, whatever, you're, you're the problem that you've come in with, right. you know, we have all the data. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is, one of my mentors uses the phrase, it's body-based exercises and practices,
0: mm-hmm. right. you
1: know. Um, and so, you know, and I also want to name, I think so much of somatic sex education, people get really hung up on sex from that, you know, it brings to mind intercourse or hopefully for folks other kinds of sex. But, you know, so much of somatic sex education is actually about pleasure and agency. Um, Right. And so that's so often where I start with my clients. And a lot of the work is, you know, what happens if we reorient our lives towards pleasure? And let's get really curious about, like, where is there pleasure in our lives? And what's interesting is, you know, culturally when we use the word pleasure, people are used to only hearing it in the context of sexual pleasure. Yeah, That word is commonly used. Um, and what I really like to invite folks into is let's actually get a little curious about that and expand our definition of pleasure, you know. And, you know, the reality is that, like, pleasure is includes, you know, the moments that we say we enjoy or that was fun or I feel comfortable. Yes, you know, these yes. are moments when we're experiencing pleasure. So, I mean, a big piece of my work with clients often is that's where we start and we get curious, like, what is your relationship to pleasure? Can we find non-sexual pleasure in more moments in your life? Can we make decisions based on pleasure? What happens if we do that? That's a lot of fun to play with.
0: Oh yeah. my God, I love that so much. And we have to make a shout out to Adrienne Marie Brown in her book, Pleasure Activism. And if, if she happens to listen to the show, please come on the yeah. show. You are an idol of ours. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, like this whole pleasure activism movement, this whole idea of like yeah what is pleasurable how do we cultivate pleasure in our lives i i just love that you bring that to the forefront cuz it is important yeah. and it does demystify like what you do
1: yeah absolutely And that other really important piece is to touch on agency, right? You know, I I named that so much of the work is really pleasure and agency. And, you know, a phrase we use in somatic sex education is choice and voice. And I think this is actually like really foundational um, from the perspective of like, you know, from a sex education perspective, people talk about like, oh, consent, you know, consent is important. And, you know, what do you want to say yes to? And we're really kind of like overlooking the body and the somatic Aspect, right? And if we don't have access to what is our yes and what is our no, or if we've had experiences our whole life where we didn't actually have permission to say no. Or we didn't actually have permission to express what we wanted. You know, we can tell people like, oh, just ask for what you want in bed. It doesn't work that way, right? That's not the reality of the body. And so this other huge piece of, you know, what is somatic sex education are these practices where in a safe container, we get to build our relationship and and actually get to know, like, what is my yes? What does that feel like? How do I know when something's a yes for me? What is my no? And then, and what happens if I try to express that to another human? What happens in my body when another human mm-hmm. says no to me? And so, and I think what's really interesting mm-hmm. is, you know, in trying to paint this picture of what is somatic sex education, you know, when I say like it's really so much of it is pleasure and then this choice and voice. Because what happens is like when we build these embodied capacities to notice pleasure, to allow ourselves to have pleasure, that's a whole nother conversation. Right. And to really connect to our yes and our no and be able to communicate it. And, you know, I'm looking at this in a whole life perspective, but when we have these embodied skills and then we look at our our sexual quote problem, all of a sudden the problem looks a lot different, right? Because we are now tackling it from this totally different place where we have these embodied capacities to recognize pleasure and follow pleasure and say yes and no. And then we add the other pieces, like maybe our body has changed because of menopause and what used to feel good doesn't feel good anymore. And so then we have other tools, which is like, you know, some supportive pleasure mapping. Let's kind of see what's happening now. Um, Or we do basic sex education. Like, yes, lubrication is now a problem. Let's talk about the many fabulous lubes on the market. Right? Right. But, you know, I I think it is a big piece to really, I mean, I think the, the choice and voice and the pleasure are just the most paradigm shifting and important pieces. And that's really where we start and really what it's about. And I just want to highlight
0: again, like we're back to that question, choice and voice for ourselves too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's all this conversation about you need to ask for what you want. No. Well, how about you knowing what you want for yourself before you even engage with another human?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's one of the gifts of somatic sex education is because those skills are really hard to practice with a partner that you're emotionally invested in. Right. And so where's that safe container to practice with someone that, you know, there's, there's no risk. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I I really appreciate you clarifying all of that for me and for the listeners. I think it makes it much more, it's a paradigm shift or what I would call a pivot
1: Yeah. as
0: opposed to like trying to have a problem and fix it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: so I'm going to shift gears here for a minute and say we haven't even touched on you being queer
1: oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) you identify as queer what does queer mean to you yeah what does queer mean to me I love talking about this I think what queer means to me I think there's kind of three pieces there's just an an inclusiveness that's really foundational there's a kind of a political piece to it Um, And there's a cultural piece, you know. And so I'll say for that, the inclusive perspective, you know, what queer has always meant for me, um, I always came out as queer. Like that was the identity that I came into, um, you know, and 20 plus years later, that's still the identity that resonates for me. And so what's always been true for me is that queer is the only thing that really represented the reality of the diversity of my attraction spectrum. You know, um, my personal attraction spectrum has always been various bodies, various gender identities. You know, my first um, non-cisgendered partner, my first partner when I kind of came out as queer was a non-binary person. So that's just always been really relevant for me. That's super important. And then, and I do think it's curious, I'm, I'm totally curious too to hear from from you, Laura, how like these, how you resonate with these pieces. But, you know, I do, there always has been a piece of it too that is, um, you know, for lack of a better word, that, that political piece where, Um, I think in, when I was in my, you know, younger days, I would have said like more of a radical politic at this point, I would say at least left of left. (laughs) 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 Um, And, you know, not, I'm not self-identifying those ways, just like holding all the the queer community around me. And then the other piece is there's there's something intangible. And I'm I'm curious if this resonates with you, where there's something about like queer community and I guess I'm going to be a, like a little vulnerable and share a story is that, you know, there have been times in my life where there was a time in my life where I was around a lot of folks who like I would, I don't know how they self-identified. I think they self-identified as straight, but I mean, I would call them heteroflexible, <laughs> you know? Got it. And it was really interesting to me to be around like in that space and to realize like, I was like, okay, it doesn't. So folks are having sex with different genders. that doesn't They're not queer. Right there was just like mm. this intangible that was like pretty hard to to identify, and I, I do think it kind of comes back to that um, really inclusive lens, like a lens where we're, we're questioning the norm, and it comes it comes through everything. So I don't know, I lost my articulateness there. Did that make any sense? Yeah,
0: I don't know if I've ever heard the term heteroflexible. Oh, really? Um, no, I don't think I've heard that, and I don't. You know, that isn't so resonant for me. I Mm -hmm. think the thing is, is for me, I never really identified as a lesbian. Mm -hmm. Now, most of my partners are women. Mm -hmm. I have been with trans people. Mm -hmm. I've been with two spirit people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have never like I just and, and it's so silly, shallow. But like one of the biggest parts of that for me was the fashion. I was just like, I am not that. Oh yeah, and it makes me sound so shallow, but I was so ostracized for liking what I liked. Yeah, um, that I went, this isn't my community, and then also, um, I have a male child. And so for me, the lesbian community was really Mm -hmm. anti-male. And like I couldn't bring my man, my male child here or there. And I even went through a period, it's the sweetest story ever, so I'll share it, um, where I didn't speak to my father for a minute in my trying to be a good lesbian. And I had gone to the Michigan Women's Festival and I came back. We were women only land, no male voices, Again, the kids were not allowed on the land which I had a problem with and arguments with, but that's okay. And I came back and I said to my father, "I'm taking a break. I'm not going to speak to you for a while. I don't want to have men around me." And he looked at me and said, "Okay. I love you. I'll be here when you're ready." I couldn't fit myself into such a small box. Yeah. So I often think of the queer community as the Island of Misfits on that show. Yeah. That cartoon, you know, it's like It's just people who, like myself, don't fit into um, this mold of the lesbian or the straight or the, like, it's the people who um, are kind of out on the edges in a political way fighting on the edges of community. We're creating the new, we're talking about pleasure activism, we're talking about like, hey, wait, here, let's stay on the edge. Yeah. Um, and it is actually one of the reasons I started the show is because I realized my edge had gotten a little unedgy, uh, that yeah. there were young people out there talking about queer in a way that I was like, what? I didn't know any of this. Where have I been?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I, I love all these little pieces where I go, Ooh, heteroflexibility. What's that? How does that fit in? Like, So I, I'm not sure if you defined yourself as well as you want to but I like that it's a little bit undefinable and that that's been a lot of our conversation today. It's like, well, wait, where are the edges?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love how you framed that about, you know, kind of like being on the edge and like trying to figure out how to do things differently. You know, I think that's a really Mm -hmm. good, good piece of of what queerness is about. I think, you know, I mean, I I would love to see us as a community shy away or step away from that Saying that we don't belong, you know, as a yeah. story, you know, um. so I completely agree with you
0: about it being we're the magic makers. But just like I reembrace the word nerd, like I'm yeah. a nerd, I'm a geek, I'm a weirdo. Yeah, I like, and even being a dyke or a queer or fat, like all those words we've reclaimed. Like I like being different or outside the norm because I don't feel norm. So, this way, I get to claim it with like power and intention. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and I think there's so much power in identity in general, right? And like what what words feel good to us, and how do we how do we define those things for ourselves? You know, I think there's this piece where what I'm really feeling is this this part of queerness that's about doing it differently. And mm-hmm. really, though, connecting to, I think the piece that's been bubbling for me a lot is how, what that's about, though, is just this really radical acceptance of ourselves yes. and each other. Yes, right? where it's really about like, well, what's true for you, what works for you, and like bringing it back to that somatic, you know, as somatic practitioners, like all of that is in our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I just I have this deep curiosity too about like you know bringing this this queerness, right, which is about. Mm-hmm. How do, what works for you? And like, there isn't a right or a wrong answer. And you know, yes. what if we bring this to other parts of our lives as well? So, yeah, I think it's really powerful.
0: Powerful and unique that it's so individual. Like, your queerness is different than my queerness is different than every single person listening here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's so individual, but we're in community. I mean, and that's, you know, I, Like that, you know, it's not—it's not gone into some. I don't know. There's that stereotype of that individualist American, and that's not what we're talking about. It's something very different,
0: you know. I so appreciate that distinguishment. It's a really nice. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, We are going to end our show, but as we do that, I always want to ask for a
1: practice. Oh, yes. Do you have a practice? Of course. I'd love to share a practice. Um, The invitation I want to share with your listeners today is any moment of the day to ask yourself, what would make this moment more pleasurable? And remembering, you know, we touched on earlier, that broad definition of pleasure. So maybe even right now in these last few moments of the podcast, you're listening, what would make this more pleasurable? Are you a little chilly? Do you want to grab a sweater? Would a cup of tea increase your pleasure with this podcast? Maybe you need to stretch, you know, you're a little stiff. And so this is a practice you can do anytime, you know, asking yourself that question. Notice what comes up. Notice if resistance comes up right? Maybe you notice something would make the moment better, but there's also a story why it's not important, or you don't need that, or you don't deserve that. We get to be curious about that. And what's it like if you let yourself have it? So, and from there, all the magic unfolds. I'll let people just discover what happens for them on their own.
0: (laughs) I love that. I really do. Um, We need to know how to get a hold of you so that people can find you. Please give us all of your tags and hashes and slashes.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Well, I am not a social media person. Kind of shocking to have built a business without being a social media person. Um, But you can absolutely find me through my website. um, And that's sexualityintransition.com. Um, And email is the best way to reach me. Um, There's also a contact form on my website. But my email is my last name, period, first name at Gmail. So it's long. Shall I actually spell it out? Please spell it out. Great. Just because somebody's
0: (laughs) writing it down as we speak.
1: Awesome. So um, again, that email address is F-A-R-A-B-A-U-G-H, period, S-H-A-U-N-A, at gmail.com.
0: Thank you so much. This has been a really awesome experience for me. I hope it was pleasurable.
1: Yes. Thanks, Laura. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it.
0: You've been listening to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of queer identity and healing. For more information about Dr. Laura Polak, or our podcast, check out our website, communityholistichealth.com. Thank
1: you for listening.